Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each and every person who is here this morning, whether here is online or whether here is outdoors. God, we're grateful that each person who hears my voice right now is someone that you formed and created, that you love and you breathed life into, that you sent Jesus to die for, and that we can celebrate his resurrection this day. So Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, and if no one, if someone doesn't get anything out of this message, other than the fact that they are your beloved, that they are loved by you, Lord, that would be enough. So God, we pray for your spirit to move in powerful ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, we've been going through a series, those of you who are uh, newer with us or maybe just your first time back in a while, we've been going through a series called Easter Eggs, looking at things in the Old Testament, prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills in the new. And so we're going to be in Numbers 21 and John 3 today, if you want to follow along in your, in your Bible, if you want to follow along um, on the Bible uh, app. What I want to do, though, is... Um, I remember I, I went flying uh, really briefly to fly up to the Bay Area just um, a couple weeks ago uh, to, to help with my mom. She's moving down here. I'll be flying up again this weekend or this week. And uh, I remember it was, it was so different. It was eerie to be at an airport, and it was pretty empty. And then you go into the airplane, and, you know, everyone's spaced out. In fact, it was so empty in the airplane that people were, you know, usually want to go sit at the front. But uh, the, the, the flight attendant actually had to say, hey, we need seven people from the front half of the plane to move to the middle because the, the weight of the plane isn't, isn't properly balanced. And so, you know, I go and I sit back and, and move a few spots back and there was more space. But I had a time, and I wonder if you've had times like this, where you go and you're in an airplane and have you ever, have you ever been sat in a middle seat and then have you ever been in between two people who just like to, they just like to take their space and they kind of stretch out their arms. Yeah, like I have, stretch out their legs. And all of a sudden, like I was, I'm cramped in between. I was on a, uh, an overseas flight going to a missions trip years ago. And this time I wasn't in the middle seat, but I was on the, on the window side. And I was, uh, this was about a 12 hour flight. So I don't remember, somewhere in the middle of that. And I just started getting very um, claustrophobic. I'm not normally claustrophobic, but when I recognize that I can't move my arms or my legs, I can't stand up because someone's sleeping next to me, and I can't get out of the plane, like all of a sudden it was very uh, claustrophobic. And in fact, I ended up, I was watching a movie, um, and the movie that was playing showed a scene where a guy was trapped inside of a metal room, trapped inside, uh, bu buckled, and he couldn't move. And I'm like, oh, this is too much. So I switched the channel. Thor was on the first Thor, and he was like in the middle of like the desert. I'm like, oh, this feels much better. Like there's a lot more space. But I bring it up because there are these times when I, all, I, all I wanted to do was to get free of that spot. All I wanted, I was like, if there was a, uh, uh, one of those things in a train that you could pull in order to like stop the plane, that's what I would have wanted to do. Obviously, I couldn't. Thankfully, I couldn't. But this moment of just feeling, I just need to get out. I need to be free of this because the, the, the claustrophobia and, and that um, feeling restricted was having such an impact. See, I bring it all up because maybe you're not claustrophobic on a plane. Maybe, maybe you're not someone that struggles uh, with, with that sort of restriction or, or that sort of uh, issue. But maybe you're someone that you've been looking at different aspects of your life and you think, I just want to be, I want to feel freedom in this area. Maybe it's financial debt and you say, 
I can't make ends meet, and then I'm piling on top of that in order to make ends meet, I put it on credit cards, and now I just look at our financials, and I don't know how it's going to work. I want to be free of that debt. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's a relationship that, that you know is toxic, that it's a friendship that is, is not good for you, or, or maybe you're dating someone and it's a relationship that is abusive or is difficult and you feel, you know you need to get out, but for some reason, we have a fear of trying to get out, and so we end up finding comfort, or, or we at least let ourselves get comfortable in situations that are not good for us. And we say, I want to get out. I want to be free. I want to experience that. And yet, here I am in the middle of a plane, stuck between two people who like to take their space, and I can't get free. Our passage this morning, our title this morning is called The Deliverer. Because the idea, like when you think of delivery right now, most of you think of like DoorDash or pizza being delivered to your house, or you start to think about like Amazon delivery and you think, oh yeah, you're right, I do have a package, but I don't even remember what I ordered at Amazon anymore, and so it's like a surprise to yourself. Um, but it's this idea of you, you think of delivery as in a bringing of a good or a service brought to another location. And, and that's, you know, that's how we often think about delivery, yet the word, the etymology or, or where the word deliver comes from comes from the Latin, which is day, which means away. And then the liver part um, has to do with liberare or to set free. So delivery was not only meant to be, I want my pizza delivered to my house. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But it's this idea of delivery was meant to be the original idea is to have been set free. So how is it that Jesus sets us free? And for some of you here, some of you know Jesus, you love Jesus, and you're like, I'm just ready to be encouraged today. We're worshiping, we're celebrating. Some of you here and some of you online have some questions. Because how is it that we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus? And that's great, but some of you wonder, but, then, but, but still, why did he have to die? I mean, why would God allow his own son to be killed? I mean, there's tension there because we recognize that that seems really cruel. And then we all come together and we want to celebrate that, that resurrection, and we do. But for some of us, there's that lingering question of, well, I don't get why this had to happen. And so we're going to unpack this in, in a, uh, a couple of passages that may not typically be used for Easter, but we'll tie it all together. And we're going to ask ourselves four different questions. In fact, we're going to ask questions of the text, four different questions based on Numbers 21 and then eventually going into John 3. And the first question that we're going to ask, because we look at this world, uh, the world that we've had, the year that we've had, when we were getting ready for the service uh, and moving things around indoors, I, I was looking and I picked up a bulletin from March 15th, 2020. And it felt like a time capsule. It felt like I was going back and like, oh, remember when all we had to worry about was this? Remember when, you know, we could just be around, but that was the first weekend, excuse me, that was the last weekend of our meeting indoors and the first weekend of, you know, being socially distanced in there. So it was a totally different idea, totally different vibe. But I bring it up because the looking at our world and everything, the first question that maybe some of us have, whether we know God or not, is does God care? Does he care about what's going on around us? Does he care about what's going on in the world? Because you look around and it might be easy to question that. 
And so let's, let's unpack this together. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 21. The context of this passage is that this is after the Israelites were delivered, so set free from Egypt. This is after the, um, the rebellion uh, when they didn't go into the promised land, even though it was meant for them to be there. And this is years later when now it's, it's time to be able to get the new generation ready to go into the promised land. So they're wandering in the desert still in Numbers. And so in Numbers 21, uh, I'm going to start here in verse 4 and 5. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. See, we look at that passage and we can, we can look at it now and think, Yeah, but, but, but you, know, you were able to be freed from the desert and experience these things. But let's sit in their shoes for a moment. Let's, let's walk a mile in their sandals and think about what it was like when they had heard stories of the delicious food they'd have in Egypt. They'd heard about onions and leeks, which I would prefer neither, but that's okay. Um, onions and leeks and all these different things. And they say, okay, why can't we go back to that? God, don't you care that we're having a hard time in the wilderness? See, many of us want to be set free. We want to get out of our areas of claustrophobia, or we want to get out of different areas of struggle in our lives, and we want to be free, but the problem is, is we look at what freedom looks like, and we know people who love Jesus, and they still have hard times. They still struggle. They still suffer, and so many of us may ask the question, does God even care what's going on? See, the people are saying, there's no, we don't have any bread. We don't, or excuse me, we don't have any water. There's no bread. We, we, why did you take us away from our comfort? The danger that we experience is that we can find more comfort in our captivity that restricts us from experiencing freedom in the life with Jesus. Because freedom in the wilderness is hard, but the wilderness with God is far better than captivity and comfort without him. And so we ask questions, God, don't you care that my finances are in trouble? God, don't you care that my daughter wasn't able to experience a graduation last year. God, don't you care that my kids are distant learning, but really it just feels like they're more distant? Don't you care that my marriage is struggling? Don't you care? I mean, God, don't you care? There's no water. There's no food. You're only providing things for me that I don't like. And how many of us, you don't have to show of hands, you can if you want, but how many of us grow impatient with God? How many of us just grow impatient with life? And we think, I just want to get out of this. I want to be, have things be different. And so does God care? And so you can see here that the problem was that the Israelites, they didn't just cry out and, and speak to God. They spoke against him. In other words, they questioned his character. They questioned his provision. They questioned the freedom that he provided and it's one of those circumstances in which if you've had people in your life that you could bend over backwards for them and then they say, how come you can't bend over even further? You bend over backwards and then they try to lower the limbo bar just a little bit more and see how much you bend over backwards in order to acquiesce to their requests. All of a sudden, there's not gratitude anymore. We go from gratitude, God, you did an amazing thing, to grumbling, God, do you even care? And so 
we recognize this because God did provide for them. They didn't like it, so they cried out against him. That God does provide for us, but if we don't like it, we grumble against him. So God does care, but it's not always in the way that we want, but it is in the way that we need. He doesn't give us all our desires, but he gives us our daily bread. He gives us the manna. He gives us this bread that comes. It's detestable to them because they're sick of it, but it's provision. And so how do we bite the hand that feeds us? Does God care? Yeah, he does. It just may not be in the way that we want him to care all the time. The next question that maybe we wrestle with is, and this is where we kind of started off, is God cruel? I mean, we look at the cross and that seems so cruel. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die such a horrible death? Why did he have to bear every lash of the cat of nine tails? Why did he have to experience the blood droplets to the point of anguish that he prayed to bleeding, the point of bleeding? Why do you have to experience the whip? Why do you have to experience the nails? Is God cruel? And so we look here, we continue on in verse, uh, verse six and seven. Or verse 6, excuse me. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, among the people. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. Happy Easter, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. (laughs) See, we look at that and we say, wait, God, the people just complained. Why, Why are you sending a cruel response? Because again, he's counting against their, or they're calling against his character. And they're calling him out. And we can cry out to God all the time. He, he hears our prayers. He hears our anger. He hears our sadness. He hears our fears. All of the difficult emotions, he can hear them. He can receive them. But if we go against his character, then there are different ways he's going to show us. And so, is God cruel? He sent venomous snakes to, to kill different people there. Now, there's a very practical reason for that. Um, Some scholars or commentators talk about that. The practical reason is that perhaps this was one more way because uh, there weren't everyone who was part of the generation that was uh, that rebelled in Numbers 14. uh, They would not be the ones who could enter into the promised land. And so a practical explanation could be that the, the, the snakes were one way to kind of have the people find their end before they came in. But that's not necessarily satisfying for us because we still have to wrestle with, but is God cruel? Why does he send death when someone's complaining? And so as we look at this, it's if there's a punishment that we have, if there's a struggle that we've had, do we respect people who, if they have rules, that they don't enforce them? We have a sense of justice inside of us that when we see something wrong, we want it to be made right. We see an issue, we see someone being hurt, we see victims of whatever it is, and we look and we say, God, that's not right, that's unjust. And so when the focus of justice is on someone else needing to be made right, we're like, yes. But then when we are the ones that have done wrong, we say no. And we cry out, thinking that God is cruel, thinking that God must not be loving, he must not care, because look how he responds. When I was in high school, um, it was my senior year, and I remember uh, there was a rule in one of our classes 
Um, I mean, there's a rule in every class not to, not to cheat, but I remember this particular professor talked about how there's misdemeanor cheating and then there's uh, felony cheating. And what he me meant by that was misdemeanor would be there wasn't a lot of pre-thought or premeditation. You just you know, looked over at someone's page or whatever. Uh, felony cheating would be like you found the answer somehow and you, you, know, you put them in a piece of paper or you wrote them on your um, hand and then you sweat anyways. You can't read it anyways. But I remember there was a time in which I didn't know the answer and I remember looking over at my friend's paper and I didn't even just look. I like asked him. I was like, what did you get for number four? Right? And it's like, <laughs> and it was very blatant. And then because I'm very good at hiding things, uh, the teacher walks by and I'm just like, nope, I wasn't looking at that. I was over here. So I, I got caught cheating, right? And they told you, and he said ahead of time, if you cheat on a test, if it's felony cheating or misdemeanor cheating, if it's misdemeanor cheating, you get a zero on that, on that um, uh, exam, or exam. If it's felony cheating, you know, the issue could be much worse. And so he goes and he says, you know, you get a zero on this. And I'm like, okay, like, you're right. I, I did that. I shouldn't have. I go and I talk to the professor right after because he also gave... The guy that I asked, who didn't help me, he, he didn't do anything wrong, gave him a zero too. It felt cruel. But what I did, you know, I went up and I said, hey, listen, he, you know, hey, listen, I would not do that to a professor right after I cheated. Um, I was saying, hey, like, I, 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 this was all me. Like, he didn't, do, he didn't do anything, any of that stuff. And he's like, okay. Um, and my friend, I'm getting, you know, good grades, and he was, he was totally fine. Um, but I still had to live with the ramification of the zero, right? I bring that up because if I was caught cheating, if I had done something wrong, is it, am I, do I go into that thinking it's cruel that when someone has a standard and they uphold that standard? Do I think, oh my gosh, that's so cruel that you gave me a zero even though you told me that you would? Is it cruel when a judge sits and they, he or she gives a sentence that is commensurate with the crime? Do we say, oh my gosh, that's cruel? Or do we say, you know the crime, you know the laws, you break it, there are certain ramifications to that. We don't say it's cruel when someone upholds the law. So we sh shouldn't just say, oh, it's cruel that God, when people call out his character, that he gets upset, and that he shows people who he is. And for many of us, if we may answer the question, is God cruel, we would look at the story and say, well, he killed people, so obviously the people rebelled and they were frustrated and they forgot about him and they rejected him. But, but let's answer the next question because the first question is, does God care? The second question is God cruel. The third question is, does God respond? Does God respond when we cry out to him? Verse uh, eight says this, verse eight and nine. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who was bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. See, if God didn't care, why would he provide healing and freedom? If God didn't care, why would he create a way out? If God was only cruel, then he would take joy. Because cruelty isn't upholding a standard of justice. Cruelty is taking delight in the suffering of others. So Jesus shows us this later on, but we see that God wasn't excited. He wasn't happy that he had to have justice administered because he's not cruel. But there is a degree of justice that is innate within each and every one of us. And yet our desire for justice 
is correlated to the depth of our love of, for someone who's experienced that. What do I mean by that? There are injustices all across this world that if we were to hear about them, it would be heartbreaking. You think about things like human trafficking. You think about people in countries where if you speak out about anything that you're dead, you think about people who are in abject poverty right next to people who have great wealth. I think about when I went to Zimbabwe on that trip where I got you know, claustrophobic, it's there was enough food. It was called the bread basket of Africa because there was enough food to provide for everyone. And yet it was abject poverty because the ruler of the nation exported everything, all those goods so that he could be rich while his people became poor. See, we start to think about all these horrible things all across the world. And we may want justice, but the degree to which that pushes us and, 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 and manifests itself from us is different than if someone did something to my family. I would want justice in a different way, and I would feel it in a different way. So when God shows that he cares and that he's not cruel, but he needs to have justice, the degree to which he shows justice is correlated to the degree to which he shows us his love. Because if he didn't care, he wouldn't respond. If God was like the Greek gods and goddesses and, and um, um, oh my gosh, what's the word? Mythology. Then he just, they don't care. So we see here that he created, he said, Moses, make a way out. Put a serpent, put a snake on a pole, and anyone who looks to that would be healed. They'd be delivered from this sickness. And I know so far we're still answering questions. How is this an Easter sermon, right? Like, where are we going with this? And so um, we're going to turn down to John chapter 3 because an Easter egg, again, something that's hidden in the Old Testament that points to something Jesus fulfills in the New. Jesus calls this specific passage and refers to it when he refers to what he's going to do for the world. John chapter 3 verse 14 says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. See, God cares. And yet, there's still justice that needs to happen without it being cruel. And then God provides a way. He responds by giving a way out. The story of the gospel is this idea that God loves us, that you, whoever you are who's hearing my voice here in person, watching online, you are God's beloved. He looked at you and he formed you in your mother's womb and he breathed life into you. He didn't have extra clay lying around and said, well, I may as well just create a person. No, no, no. He saw you. He formed you. He shaped you. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the tears in your heart. He knows the cries of your soul and he cares for you and we see that because of how much he loves us now is God cruel no but we blew it number one in the gospel is that God loves us the second part of the gospel is we blew it because of sin because of the fact that all of us are broken none of us are perfect and that all of us fall short we cannot have a relationship with God on our own no amount of our own good deeds can bring us salvation. No amount of specific deeds that the people did could heal them of their snake bite. Instead, they needed to look to the one that was lifted up in order to find healing. That Jesus says, look, you guys cannot do anything on your own to earn your own salvation. We have to fix our eyes on the Son of Man who will be lifted up 
to find your healing, to be delivered, to be set free. And so God responds by providing a way out. Number one part of the gospel is that God loves us. Number two part of the gospel is that we blew it. Number three part of the gospel is that Christ paid for it. He's the one that was lifted up. He was the one that was nailed to the cross and was lifted up that people would look to him and be saved. And, and we see that all the way from the centurion who was right at his feet and said, surely this man was a righteous man. To, to the ones who, like us, can look to the cross and know that, yes, God cares. And no, God's not cruel, but he is just and he responds because Jesus paid the price that you and I ought to pay. But then the fourth part of the gospel is we must receive him. So we've asked questions so far as we get ready to close. Does God, is, does God care? Is God cruel? Does God respond? And this last question is the one that hits home for us the most. Whether you're here in person or watching online, how will you respond. How will you respond? Because imagine this picture. Imagine having been in the desert, walking around, eating food that you don't like, and you cry out. The people cry out against God. They question his character. He administers justice. You get bitten, and all of a sudden you hear, okay, you know what? There's going to be a snake. I don't get it either, but you're, there's going to be a snake put up on a pole. And if you look to that snake and you, and you recognize that God will provide healing, you will be healed. You will be set free from your disease. Imagine hearing that and then saying, no, nah, I'm good. No, no, because if I look at, if I look at that, then, then things are going to change and say, no, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with my impending death. I feel great about it. I feel like there's not anything for me to worry about. I'm just, I'm just going to, you know, I'll just go into this sweet light. See, you better believe that if someone in that time, when they say, how will you respond? They say, show me where this serpent is at. Show me where the snake is. Show me where I need to fix my eyes so that I might be healed. Show me where because I will do anything. I will go anywhere. Look, I'll do whatever I need to do to find freedom from my disease and to find healing for my life. And so for us today, the question is, how do you respond? How do you respond? Jesus paid the price that was meant for us and we must receive him. So how do you respond? Because if we recognize that we haven't looked to Jesus as the son of man lifted up, as the ones who give us healing and freedom, it's like we're saying, no, I know there's a way to be saved from that snake and I'm just gonna look the other way. I'm gonna close my eyes and ignore it. I'm gonna pretend like it doesn't exist. I'm gonna pretend like death isn't gonna happen. I'm gonna pretend like I'm not really sick. I'm gonna pretend like I'm in captivity, but that I like the captivity when really we know in our heart of hearts we wanna be set free. We wanna be delivered set free. So then there's John 3, 16 and 17 that closes with this idea that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. We hear verse, uh, verse 16 all the time, right? 
I remember watching sporting events and there was this dude with like a rainbow afro at every sporting event that was like, John 316, right? And I remember as a kid, I'm like, I don't know, what that, like, what does that mean? How do, what does that look like? But then John 3.17 is equally important for us because what does it say? It says God didn't come to condemn the world. He's not just sending snakes randomly to destroy us. He's not coming just to destroy people because he's cruel. Condemnation without hope can be cruel. Justice without a way out can be cruel. And so he says this God did not come to condemn the world but to save it. He came not so that we would just be stuck in our snake-bitten life but that we would look to the one that brings us healing. He says that he's not coming just so that we may stay in our captivity, stay stuck in our world and saying, ah, I just need some space. I just need some freedom. How do I exit this? And he doesn't just leave us there. He provides a way out. And no, it's not pulling a string to stop the train, but it's the fact that Jesus was lifted up and that we are able to find hope and transformation and peace and love and freedom at the foot of the cross. For you here who, and those online, if you have made that decision, praise God, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus and we're saying hallelujah. What a savior we have. If you haven't yet, you may have more questions. You still think, well, God still seems cruel, or maybe God doesn't really care, and we would love to walk alongside those questions with you. But we would be remiss if we didn't speak the truth in love today on Easter, the truth that God loves you. You are the beloved. God looks at you, and he knows all your faults. He loves you anyways. He knows all your sin sent Jesus to die for you anyways. He knows all your temptations. He sent the Holy Spirit to make you more like Christ anyways. He knows the areas in which you find captivity, and he provided a way for freedom anyways. We just need to look up to the Son of Man who's lifted up. We need to confess that he is Lord. We need to surrender our lives. We need to acknowledge that our own attempts of getting free don't work. Our own attempts at healing don't work. Our own goodness will not work. But Christ's goodness does. Not based on how good you are, but on how good he is. So how will you respond today? As he was lifted up on the cross died a horrible death, but then today is the day where we recognize that God cares enough that he sent his only begotten son that we shall not perish. That God is someone who is not cruel because punishment had to be, or the justice had to be served, but Jesus isn't, he's not cruel because he doesn't say, you know, Jesus, I'm just going to make you do it. Jesus says, I'm not being forced to lay down my life. I laid down willingly. That Jesus came from the riches of heaven to the rags of a manger in order to give us a path to go from the rags of this earth to the riches of eternal life in heaven with Jesus. That we start to see that he is caring, that he, does, he isn't cruel, he's just, but he's not cruel. Then we say that he's made a way out, he responds to us, and he asks us to respond to him.
Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much that you are with us now, Lord, and we recognize that, Lord, we recognize that we come with a lot of questions, that it's easy for us to come on on an Easter Sunday and, and we can wear our nicest clothes or our pastels or come here and we can have good food later. We can hide Easter eggs later. We can, we can have um, a, a good family tradition uh, to, throughout the day, Lord. But maybe some of us are ringing these questions, ringing our ears. Is God care? Is, is God cruel? How does he respond? And Lord Jesus, I pray that for those of us that are wrestling with these questions this morning, that Maybe a 30-minute sermon isn't going to solve everything, Lord. And the point isn't to just me having the right answers. My job isn't to have people point to any one of us, God. Our job is to have people look to the Son of Man who was lifted up, that provides hope and healing and freedom. So, Jesus, I pray that you would deliver us today, whether it's from a life that's far from you, we become comfortable in our own captivity and we're scared of what wilderness with you looks like. Lord, help us to be delivered into the true freedom that is a life with you. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Deliver us from certain sins that so easily entangle us. Instead, may we fix our eyes upon you, Jesus, as the author and perfecter of our faith and the one who delivers us. May you deliver us and set us free in whatever area we need most. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.